like to have you turn, if you will, to a couple of places which we're actually going to get to at the very end. But we'll read it at first, uh, you know, at the beginning. It's really important for us to lay a good foundation for us as believers in Jesus Christ. In bringing us to a, a, an understanding of what this night we call Halloween is all about. Now, I do have to confess, I, I, I thought about the timing of the issue. You know, uh, I probably should have done this last week. But I wanted to finish that chapter in Hosea, you know, so I had, I had that thing to battle, you know, so I, I finished that. And, uh, but, you know, God's timing is always perfect. Ours may not be, but his is. So it's good for us to, to take this opportunity in between chapters of Hosea and uh, on this particular night to, uh, to deal with these issues. And I think they're important issues to deal with, especially now as we uh, see the day of Christ approaching. Now, you probably hear that all the time because I, I truly believe that uh, that day is approaching. We know, it's, we know Jesus is coming soon because he said he would. But we know that he's coming soon because he said what this world would be looking like when, uh, when he would come. And uh, certainly when we put all of the scriptures together, both in the Gospels and in the Epistles, as well as the prophecies of the Old Testament, we find ourselves in that in that place right now so it's it's really important for us in the, as a body of Christ to be focused on what uh, what what things we're having to deal with uh, always and and not to you know not to make light of anything and that's that's not what this is about or to try to throw out some uh, you know whether we should or shouldn't uh, you know celebrate uh, this this particular day you're gonna find out really when it comes down to it I'm kind of like giving away the, the, the story, which doesn't mean that you get to go up, you know, get up and leave. But, uh, you know, we, we ought to do what God calls us to do in his word. And re what he reveals to us in his word uh, about the world and the things in the world and, and the things that pertain to the world, the flesh, and the devil that we ought to take seriously at all times. So that's why we're doing what we're doing tonight. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And verses 8 and 9 are the key verses here for us to kind of consider. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. That's a, that's a good place to start. What does God tell us that we are to think upon? And he tells us very clearly. Think on these things. Those things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. Now I'd like to have you turn to 1 Corinthians 10, verses 20 through 23. And again, we're going to come back to these passages at the end of our study. But here, Paul is saying, dealing with things that are sacrificed by the Gentiles. He said, I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. What Paul is saying is, I, I, I really do not want you to fellowship with devils or demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils or demons. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. 
Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient, which means all things are not beneficial. All things are not good for me. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Consider that for a moment. When you think about a day like today, all things are lawful, but not beneficial. Not good in the long run, but most importantly, not edifying. Not something that builds up. So, with that in mind, let's consider the activities of this evening. More than 70% of Americans will have participated in Halloween festivities of one sort or another this evening. And if you were like me this afternoon when it was raining and sleeting and, and hailing, I kept thinking, Lord, could, could you kind of keep that going probably through 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 o'clock, you know? Just have it open enough for us to come to church so we'll be safe and then, you know, just keep that going and then there be, won't be anybody out there in endangering kids' lives and whatever, you know. But, but that, you know, it's okay. But I think that way. I'm, well, every year, Lord, let it just snow or rain or, or something, you know. So 70% of Americans participate in Halloween festivities one sort or another this evening and the majority of them are absolutely clueless. They are absolutely clueless about this unofficial holiday. Because that's really what it is. It's an unofficial holiday, if we can call it that. And that its roots, which are deeply embedded in paganism, is thousands of years old. Now, based on that statement alone, the wise thing should be, if you're going to celebrate something, at least know what is, what's being celebrated, right? At least know why. So, as, you know, it brought to mind, as I was thinking about these things, as a young boy, and yes, I was young once, but as a young boy, not really knowing much at all about Halloween, other than just the fact that, you know, it was something you did every October the 31st, I did... I, I did know one thing, I hated it. I hated Halloween even as a young boy. I hated Halloween. I didn't even care much about going around and acquiring free candy. I, 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 didn't, I didn't like that. I, I didn't want it. But I suppose that I came to despise this night simply because of two costumes that I was forced to wear. One of them was a clown outfit that my mother had made for a tumbling exhibition my third grade class was to do at the Catholic school that I was attending the night before Halloween. And of course I had to wear it the next night as well as I was required to take my cousin's trick-or-treating. Oh, hated that clown costume. What do you think they called you? Hey clown. Of course, in my neighborhood, it was payaso, but you know, it's one of those things. Uh, by, by the way, one, one more thing, I didn't like clowns very much either after that. As a matter of fact, to this day, I don't like clowns. And with all due respect to any of you that may have been in what's called a clown ministry, they're, they're, those, actually thing, those are things that kind of actually exist, you know, for kids, you know, VBS and here and there and, and whatnot. But, but, but as I said, with all due respect, man, I, I just, you know, today for me, clown ministry is, is still existing as far as, uh, you know, these people that don't teach the word of God and it's just, you know, they're out there for entertainment. That's a clown ministry as far as I'm concerned. <sighs> Boy, you can see now I'm getting deep. Then there was the second costume, a thin black getup with a white skeleton on the front. Now look, I was a chubby kid, okay? So as a chubby kid, you know, I'm wearing this thing. It hardly fit. I couldn't even close it in the back. So here I am, you know, taking my little cousin going out, you know. Hated it. Oh. You know, and then it was accompanied by a cheap plastic skull mask. And I couldn't even see out of you, you know, couldn't, have, couldn't adjust it. 
Did I mention I hated Halloween? I didn't like calling, I don't like calling Halloween a holiday simply because the term holiday has as its origin the phrase holy day. And uh, Halloween is far from being a holy day or festivity. But now think about this just for just a moment. Let me give you some statistics about Halloween. Halloween retail spending for this year, for this year, 2018 already, you know, has, has been calculated. And uh, holiday, uh, I'm sorry, Halloween retail spending for this year is estimated at $9 billion. $9 billion. That's, that's a little less than 2017's record of $9.1 billion. And also, slightly fewer, 175 million people will have celebrated this evening. And on average, they will have spent a record, get this, $86.79 per person for this one night alone. And days leading up to this night, like house decorations. You know, people decorate their house like, like Christmas, you know. They decorate their house, you know, jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkins and all kinds of stuff. So it's decorations, candies, costumes, and so on. The National Retail Federation give these statistics. 90% of Americans will have spent $2.6 billion on candy. On candy. $2.7 billion on Halloween decor. $3.2 billion on costumes, even those that don't fit. And they even tell us, by the way, they even tell us that the top five adult costumes were a witch, vampire, a zombie, pirate, and Avengers character. For adults! For children, the top five costumes were princess, superhero, Batman, Star Wars character, and witch. 16% primarily... Um, what do they call these young, the younger generation? Millennials. 16% uh, bought costumes for their pets. Have you had enough already of all of that? Yeah, I have. I've had enough. The point that I'm trying to make is that this is a lot of money to spend on a so-called holiday without most people having the slightest idea about the meaning of Halloween, much less its history and its roots. We just do it because it's done. And it's not so bad. Kids go out there, you know, parents are walking with them. Or as I found out today, blocking people's driveway so that they can't get out to come to church. <sighs> but there is a downside to Halloween, I think. Well, I know. I know for a fact there is a, a downside. There's a lot of downside. We'll talk about that tonight. But there's a downside to Halloween if we're talking in terms of what we've been talking about so far. Because statistics also bear witness to the fact that crime increases on Halloween. Especially arson and other acts of violence on this night. I know that law enforcement officers and insurance companies dread Halloween. I've been out on Halloween nights at times with, with police officers. And yeah, it's, 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 they're on edge. Because it's a weird night. But what rises the most is the tremendous amount of occult activity associated with Halloween. That rises to peak levels. So what is Halloween all about? When and where did it originate? Now I want to give you stuff that you, you all can look up yourself, you know, but I, you know, I wanted to be sure that we can at least listen together at, at some, of this, some of these statistics um, uh, generally speaking. But according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, in, in ancient Britain and Ireland, uh, the Celtic festival of Samhain, it's, it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, sometimes you pronounce it Samhain, but it's basically pronounced Samhain or Savin, which means end of summer, was observed on October 31st. That's what this day was called and it was observed at what they call the end of summer. Summer ended on this day. It was also the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time 
of year that was associated with human death. And death plays a major role in understanding Halloween and Samhain. But the Celts believe that, uh, and the Celts being those, you know, those tribal people that lived in, in the British Isles and, and all, but uh, they believe that on the night before the new year, because after the 31st, the, the, a new year began to, you know, for them. So they believe that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the living and the dead became blurred. The souls of the dead were supposed to revisit their homes on this day, and the autumnal festival acquired sinister significance with ghosts and witches and goblins and black cats and fairies and demons of all kinds said to be roaming about causing trouble and damaging crops. So it was the time then to pacify and soothe those supernatural powers controlling the processes of nature. In addition, Halloween was thought to be the most favorable time for divinations concerning marriage and luck and health and death. Divinations having to do with seeking things out through certain supernatural means, as it were. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But it was the only day on which the help of the devil was invoked for such purposes. Getting back to the Celts for a moment, to them, those otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, and you probably heard of the Druids, the Druids were the Celtic priests of the time, uh, it, it was easier for them to make predictions about the future, and that's part of divination as well. All because of this one night. So now to commemorate the event, Druids would build these huge bonfires where the people gather to, to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities, the Celtic gods. And during those celebrations, the Celts wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and attempted to tell each other's fortunes. And when the celebration was over, the people would relight their hearth fires in their homes, which they had extinguished earlier that evening. And they would relight their hearth fires from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. That was, by the way, some 2,000 years ago. By 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. And in the course of 400 years that they ruled the, the, the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. The first was a celebration called Feralia, Feralia, F-E-R-A-L-I-A, Feralia a day in late October when the Romans would traditionally commemorate the passing of the dead. Now we see the connection moving toward this issue of celebrating the dead, as it were, or commemorating the dead. And then there was a second day that was to honor the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. That would be Pomona, P-O-M-O-N-A. I have family that live in Pomona, California, and California is usually called the land of fruits and nuts, so we're pretty close to, uh, you know, I think it's still being celebrated today in a, there in that really weird state. But the symbol of Pomona is the apple, and the incorporation of this celebration into Samhain may, may explain the tradition of bobbing for apples that is usually practiced, by the way, on Halloween. Now at six, 600 AD comes and enter the Catholic Church. Because it was around 600 AD that Pope Boniface, or Pope Boniface as it were, the fourth, created a day called All Saints Day. And then Pope Gregory the 
the 4th in 835 AD moved this holiday to November the 1st in an effort to give a quote-unquote Christian alternative to this pagan celebration. So Christians who did not want to celebrate pagan festivals celebrated something of positive spiritual value, in this case, honoring the saints and martyrs. Honoring the saints and martyrs. I'm going to talk about saints here in just, just a second. So you'll understand what they were actually honoring. Because with the overwhelming, overwhelming expansion of Christianity in Europe, All Saints Day became the dominant holiday. But let me interject here and say that the modern definition and use of the term saint in the Roman Catholic Church, the one that they have today, was not instigated until 1588 by another pope, Pope Sixtus V. Or was that Pope Fiftus VI? No. Pope Sixtus V. Okay, that was a joke. Okay, that didn't go over very well. Low flying duck, be careful. So y'all understand now today when they consider saints, there, there's a process to becoming a saint in the Catholic Church, which goes totally against the word of God because the word of God teaches us that every believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. And we're not saints because of anything we've done or anything that we do. We are saints because the word means that we are set apart unto the gospel of Jesus Christ and set apart unto our God. It doesn't say that we're saints because of the things that we do or how we do it. In the sense of, you know, being holy ourselves. So, uh, keep that in mind here. So, it was at that point that Catholics began their stages of proclaiming saints in a three-step procedure. Today, it, it continues. First of all, if they, they want to name somebody a saint, they begin by calling them venerable. And then the next step is that you call them blessed. And then they go through the process of examining their life and where their miracles involved with whatever. But eventually they come to the third level, which is saint. Now that's a long way to go, man. All you got to do is read the Bible and say, if you love Jesus Christ and you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you're a saint. You know, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has done. But, but here again, now let's get back. There's, there's no reason to assume that before this, saints were different than the view of the saints that Protestants held to. So... In effect, when they were commemorating the saints and the martyrs, it was those that, have, uh, that had gone before in, in the sake and the name of Christ. And not so much saints that were made by, by the Catholic Church itself. Okay, so in fact, the, the, the current name of Halloween itself originated from the day before All Saints Day, which was called All Hallow Evening. Now, we all know a little bit about the word hallowed. When you read the Lord's prayer or the Lord's pattern of prayer in Matthew 6, uh, and, he, and he says, pray in this manner. Notice that he didn't say pray this prayer. He said, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in, hell, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the word hallowed has to do with, uh, uh, again, a, a, a separation from the things of the world and, and something that is lifted up high, something that is, 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 is to be honored in the sense of, 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 uh, of who God is and what he does. So, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How holy is your name. So it had to do with holiness. All hallow evening shortened to all hallows eve or even. And it is with that phrase, all hallows even, which, again, is short for evening, uh, became, uh, over time, the name as Halloween. Halloween. So that, that's the origin of the name. So a couple of hundred years later, the Roman Church made November the 2nd, All Souls Day, to honor the dead. So now we're back to the dead issue. Uh, there are a number of cultures that celebrate uh, a day to pay homage to dead ancestors. It's, we know it's a big deal in Mexico. You know. and, uh, but it, a lot of cultures, a lot of cultures have these particular commemorations for the dead. Now, I know that most of us have 
family that have, that have passed and gone on. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. We knew that because of their lives and because of their commitment to Jesus Christ and others that, well, we would hope they did and others that we are not quite sure they did and others that we know they didn't, you know. But a lot of times because they were family, we remember them, but it's like we're not obsessed with this, you know, this thing about, about death. And I only say that because, you know, when I came to Christ... I came to the realization that God truly is a God of life and not of death. God is a God of life. And how many times do we see in the scriptures that the Lord really encourages us, in fact, he challenges us to choose life. Choose life and not death. Think about the three things that we think of when we consider Jesus himself. They all begin with L. The Lord. Well, he's the Lord. But there are three things. There is life. Scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus is life. He is light. He even himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me shall not walk in darkness. As far as life is concerned, wow, he is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he's all about life and light. And then he's also about love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, life con connected to his light and also to his love. So, when cultures begin to obsess on death, and I really, I struggle, I don't know if you do, I, I do, I struggle a little bit with all the, the skulls that people like to, put on, you know, uh, things. <laughs> They're all over, you know, skulls. I'm like, well, well, why skulls, you know? You know, they got the tattoos with the skulls. Ah. You know, they could be, they're just so, it's, it's so obsessively focused on death. Yeah, death is a part of life, I understand that. But death is also separation from God in a certain way, isn't it? If we don't come to Christ, man, we're going to be separated from God eternally through death. And at death. Now, on this, quick, uh, on this one quick note. The annual Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is celebrated in the fall, usually in September or October. But it is distinctly different in purpose. It is not honoring the dead. Yom Kippur does not honor the dead. Rather, it deals with soul-searching. It deals with repentance. It deals with a time of great sacrifice for the sins of the people. It also reminds us of what it means to come from death into life because of Christ Jesus. Leviticus 23, 27, and 28 says, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, <clears throat> there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you. It is a, a, a convocation, a gathering that is supposed to be holy, set apart from all other things, set apart from the world, set apart unto God. And you shall afflict your souls and, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The Jews continue to, to this day to celebrate this day of Yom Kippur. And you shall do no work in that, sa in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. So we come to that to say that, you know, uh, there's a culture that doesn't focus on death. But it focuses in the present. It focuses in the, the heart of the, of the Jewish people. And really it's to bring them to a place where they can eventually see their Messiah. We'd have to go a long way to come back to that particular point, but the point is that they, it's not about death in that culture, and I'm thankful for that. 
I know a question that comes up when we talk about Halloween is what about trick-or-treating? <clears throat> well, there's several uh, ancient practices that point to this tradition. One possibility is from the notion that ancient witches had to steal the materials needed for their festivals. The Druids may have believed that witches held this day to be special, something clearly true for modern witches. So uh, again, Halloween is a big night for witches. We're going to talk a little bit later about Wicca, uh, an organization or a belief system, as it were, made up of, of, of witches, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, but this is clearly their night, as it were. The idea of trick-or-treating is, is further related to the ghosts of the dead in pagan and even Catholic history, by the way. For example, among the Druids, the ghosts that were thought to throng about the houses of the living were greeted with a banquet-laden table. At the end of the feast, masked and costumed villagers representing the souls of the dead paraded to the outskirts of town, leading the ghosts away. That was one of the reasons for the masks and the, and the costumes. And as already noted, the Halloween was thought to be a night when mischievous and evil spirits roam freely. As in modern poltergeist lore, mischievous spirits could play tricks on the living. So it was advantageous to hide from them by wearing costumes. Masks and costumes were worn to either scare away the ghosts or to keep from being recognized by them. Now, in Ireland especially, people thought that ghosts and spirits roamed after dark on Halloween. They lit candles or lanterns to keep the spirits away, and if they had to go outside, they wore costumes and masks to frighten the spirits or to keep from being recognized by these unearthly beings. So that, that's really the foundation of, of trick-or-treating, you know. It, it just comes down to you wear these masks because you're trying to hide from the other earthly creatures or you're there to scare them away. That's the whole idea. So either they trick you or they treat you, bottom line. Okay, well, we've kind of touched on what I think we need to touch on. But the question that I am not going to ask you today is this. I'm not going to ask you, should, should Christians celebrate Halloween? Because I know that that's a question people ask. But I'm not going to ask you. What I am going to ask you is this. What people or groups of people actually celebrate with the knowledge of what this day is all about? What people actually celebrate Halloween? Because if they celebrate Halloween, do we want to celebrate it with them? That's the question. That's why I'm not asking you, should Christians celebrate Halloween? I'm asking you, who celebrates this anyway? So let's begin. I mentioned the Wiccans. The Wiccans, some, by the way, Wiccans themselves believe that Wicca is to be, is, uh, they, they believe it to be the oldest religion that there is. From the beginning of time, there have been these witches. What Wicca is, is a subset of something called neo-paganism, new paganism, which is a revival of ancient polytheism, the belief in many gods, and a reverence for the forces of nature. Not gods like we know, but, but gods that uh, nonetheless uh, can be looked to or reverenced in some sort of way, but that because they're combined with the forces of nature or they represent the forces of nature. So their, their supreme being then in Wicca is, is someone called the goddess, sometimes the goddess and god, which means that there's a, a lady and a, and a lord. Uh, and and uh, by the way, the god is oftentimes called the horned god. So get, you get a picture of the horned god, who that might be. Uh, the goddess is the impersonal force in everything. There's something to think about. We've had a lot of uh, major motion pictures and, uh, you know, multi-million dollar 
merchandising forces that uh, focus on a force. Well, the goddess is the impersonal force in everything, according to Wicca. Or it can be also be, an, a, can be a personal being, as believed by some. As far as Jesus is concerned to these witches, Jesus is rejected altogether by most Wiccans, although there are some who consider him a spiritual teacher who taught love and compassion. But that's as far as they go with who Jesus is. Wiccans don't believe that humanity is sinful, and they don't believe that humanity needs saving. In a nutshell, Wiccan celebrates Samhain, or Samhain, as their religious New Year, and many practice divination and spell casting, with most rituals performed in a circle. So they do everything in circles. You know, it's kind of like something to remind them of the of the circle of life, and you know, they're, they're, that that's just a part of their particular rituals. But they consider themselves witches, and and very much promote witchcraft through many films and television programs. A couple of movies, Practical Magic and The Craft, are a couple that, force, uh, that focus on this aspect of, of, uh, of Wicca or Wiccans. Um, and then there's these TV programs, and they're, they're quite popular from what I understand. I don't watch them, I don't like to even look at them for a minute or two, but uh, Charmed, I think, is one, and another one is called Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And then, of course, there's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, I mean, these are, you know, but kids watch them all the time. And, you know, it's just like we let them watch it. They're not so bad. They look squeaky clean, the kids, you know. And then they, you know, they battle the ugly forces of darkness or whatever. But they're, they're part of the darkness. I <laughs> just thought I'd let you know. Part of the darkness. And then, of course, there, there is the, the Church of Satan or Satanism. They're very active, especially on, on a night like tonight. Satanism forcefully rejects biblical Christian doctrines and ethics. Forcefully. There's no question that they reject Christian doctrine. And it is very man-centered in the extreme. Uh, while there are various levels of Satanism... Some believing that Satan is a real personal being. There are those who would follow Anton LaVey's Church of Satan model. Um, and that is that God is viewed as, as an impersonal force of nature. LaVey writes that those who believe in a literal God invented him as an externalized uh, form of their own ego. And Jesus is regarded as either mythical or just a failure. That's how Satanism looks at, at, at Jesus. To LaVey, uh, Satan symbolizes man as his own god and in opposition to all religions. Man is just another animal and should be free of moral codes. Do what you want to do. Do, us to, do it to the furthest extent of your desires. There's no need for salvation, of course, in Satanism. There's no life beyond death. Life is to be lived now, but if you're going to live it now, live it vitally and live it pleasurably. To the full extent of pleasure in your life. According to nine satanic statements or principles, I'm not going to go through all of them, but according to some of them, man should indulge and not abstain from whatever they want to do. Just do what you want to do. Be kind only to the deserving. Be kind. Now, now who would be the deserving you know, that deserves your kindness? But somebody who's been kind to you. If nobody's been kind to you, you don't have to worry about that. You have to be kind to them. It's kind of a sick reversal of what Jesus taught us. Oh, and he, it, it teaches also to take vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. In other words, do to others as they do to you. If they hurt you, you hurt them back. Take vengeance. 
And of course, Halloween is one of their most important holidays. What do the scriptures condemn? Let's consider some of the things that we brought up earlier, and, and then we'll mention a few others. But again, in, in, in light of what uh, is uh, or what groups of people celebrate, I, I just mentioned two, there's many others. But they all kind of aimed in, in certain uh, similarities. And it's all things that Scripture does condemn. For example, divination. I mentioned divination earlier. Divination, uh, at least a, a simple definition, is reading hidden meanings in a natu into natural objects and or receiving information about one's past, present, or future through some sort of supernatural means, uh, other than the Lord, of course. Then there, is, uh, there are things that are connected to divination, such as astrology, and numerology, the reading of cards like tarot cards, uh, the reading of palms also, all of these things are connected to the issues of, of divination. Divination is mentioned in the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to give you a few scriptures and, and then kind of just look at some of the, uh, the, the uh, things uh, the, that are listed as being condemned by God, condemned through his word, in his word, but it is by God. For example, Leviticus 19, verse 26. Leviticus 19, 26 says, You shall not eat anything with the blood, neither shall you use enchantment. Now that's, in some translations, is the word divination. Neither shall you use enchantment. And that is the Hebrew word nahash. Nahash. It is used for the word divination, enchantment. And then it says, nor observe times. And I'll talk about observing times in just a second. But Leviticus 19, 26 condemns divination. And again, divination has to do with reading hidden meanings in natural objects. You've all heard of probably a divining rod, a, a stick of three you know, points that uh, you hold on to two and the longer side of the stick, you know, you go looking for water and then when the thing dips, you know, it's, that's where the water source is. Kind of, you know, who manipulates that, right? Uh, by the way, uh, I can assure you, and I, I think Greg understands this too, and I, I know he's taught about the, the Ouija board as being something that is demonically, demonically controlled at times, if not most of the time. It's, it's, it's a painful thing to see. And I remember seeing this, years and years ago before I became a believer. And you know, you played it, you know, was it Milton Bradley that, uh, that made that game or something? I can't remember. But it was, uh, wow, you know, this is a regular game that you buy at a regular store with all the other games. Ouija board, demonic. A lot of people I've talked to, I you know, in you know, 35, 40 years of ministry that, uh, you know, people have come and said, I need, I, need, I need to get rid of this thing. Well, get rid of it, burn it, or whatever. A lot of people have been kind of set free from that kind of stuff because they've gotten rid of those things. They are demonically manipulating and motivating. So these are some of the things that uh, are condemned in, in the condemnation of enchantments or divination. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, and verse 14. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 10 says, There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. So there is, again, divination, enchantments, um, there's witches, these are all from the time of Moses, that was already going on. And the Bible has condemned those things. Consider again in Deuteronomy 18 verse 14, for these nations 
which thou shalt possess, hearken unto observers of times and unto diviners. Those who could, could say, you know, uh, read the future. Tell you what the future was going to be like. Apart from what we, we do when we take the word of God and, 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 and study it and say, this, this, this was a prophecy pointing to this particular time. It was fulfilled here, but there's another fulfillment yet to come. Then we're going to look at, at the time when that's going to be fulfilled before the coming of Christ or at the coming of Christ. So for these nations which they, thou shalt possess, hearken unto observers of times, unto diviners, but as for thee. Now speaking to the Jewish people, speaking to the Israelites, it says, as for thee, the Lord thy God has not suffered thee so to do. In other words, he has not appointed you to do it and he has not permitted you to do it. God has not suffered thee so to do. Now, it's interesting, the, the use of the word suffer. Some of you remember Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Which means permit the little children to come to me. So what he's saying here is, that it was an old English expression of saying, the Lord thy God has not suffered or permitted you to do those things. You don't do those things that the world is doing in these pagan practices. Because they were all pagans that surrounded the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. And then, of course, they were surrounded with Egypt's enchantments and Egypt's astrologers and Egypt's div uh, diviners and all. And God continued to have to say, listen, don't get tied in with these practices. Then, of course, there's witchcraft, the, the practice of occult arts, which is condemned in the scriptures. Actually, I, I want to give you one passage of scripture, 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. This was, this was after Samuel had disobeyed the Lord. And in fact, before you read verse 23 and verse 22, you're, you all would be familiar when Samuel, the, the, the priest, comes to, to Saul and he says to him, as, as the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, because Saul was commanded to, to destroy this, uh, the Amalekites and, and, and Agag, the king, but he kept Agag alive, and all of the cattle was to be destroyed, but he left it, you know, all of the, uh, uh, the livestock. And then he says to Samuel, oh, but I, but I kept it so we could offer unto the Lord. But God had commanded him to destroy it all. So he disobeyed the Lord, and, and in verse 23, Samuel says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Kesem is, is the Hebrew word for witchcraft. And so to rebel against the Lord is, is just as, as if you are practicing occultic arts or occult arts against the will of God. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the words of the Lord and has, he has also rejected thee from being king. And we see some of this uh, aspect of, of witchcraft even in, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 10. Acts 16, 16 through two, uh, 20, I'm sorry. Acts 16, 16 through 20. It says it came to pass. Now, you know, you can read on here. Uh, this is the time that, uh, well, I'll, I'll explain in a moment. It says, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, as Luke is writing here. Obviously, Luke was, was with, uh, with Paul and Silas at this time. It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So these are, these are occult practices, soothsaying, divination. The same followed Paul in us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which showeth unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, because uh, the, these masters of this woman were, were, I mean, they were making 
bucks off of, off of the things that she was doing with divination and, and soothsaying and telling people the future and whatnot. So they caught Paul and Silas. When her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. And eventually what they do is they, they throw Paul and Silas into prison. Which is when we read about Paul and Silas singing at midnight before the Lord and eventually ministering to the Philippian jailer and bringing him and his household to Jesus. But it all was because of this one certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. And Paul had had enough and he just commanded it to come out in the name of Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians 5, verses 18 through 21, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. We sometimes focus on, you know, a lot of more of the, you know, the sexual sins that are mentioned here, as well as some of the, the more... Um, communicative type of things, you know, that, that we can do against one another. Uh, but we forget that right in the center of all of this and in connection with all of these things is idolatry, witchcraft. Uh, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. This is in Paul's time. And this is, a, this is a letter to the church. Could it be that there were some that were still practicing divination, they were still practicing some witchcraft while they were in the body of Christ? Very much possible, isn't it? Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, Strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Sounds like tonight. Or at least the spirit of what goes on on a night like this. Sadly, it happens every night. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in thine past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's a tremendous warning, isn't it? To take seriously as the body of Christ. Not just something made, uh, you know, a statement in scripture that's given to a church and then say, well, well, is it for everybody outside of the church? You've given it to the church to wake up. Sadly, some of those things, unfortunately, but I say sadly, that some of those things are happening in churches today and being paraded around as if it is some new move of the Holy Spirit. Laughter movements. A few years ago, I mean, this was happening in, in, in a lot of churches. Preachers waving their coats over people and people falling down, you know. I mean, it was, it was like, what is that? Where do we see that in Scripture? That's the power of God. That's the power of suggestion. Then there's spiritism. Attempting to contact a disembodied being such as a dead person or an angel. By the way, Saul did that. His attempt to want to speak to. Samuel. Jeremiah 27 verse 9 says, Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, Kassam, nor to your dreamers. Dreams are a big deal right now. There's a lot of books being written about dreams. Be careful with those, would you? 
Would you please be careful about those books about dreams? Nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. Jeremiah is speaking to the children of Israel. And they had their own diviners. They, had, they, 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 they called them prophets, right? We, we see that mentioned a, a lot. They call them prophets. They're prophets. We got a whole group of people today that are calling themselves prophets and apostles. Self-proclaimed and leading thousands of people astray. Are they turning out only to be diviners and dreamers and enchanters and sorcerers? If we had more time, we'd delve into that. Maybe we will soon. You're not going to serve. Don't, don't settle in. God was telling them through the prophets, you better settle in. You're going to settle in for 70 years. But we got prophets today telling you, oh, listen. You can live your best life. Your best life is ahead of you. Really? Remember what I said the other day? It isn't about your best life. It's about your best death. Because Jesus said, you need to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. To pick up the cross is to die to self. To die to this world. Yes, the scriptures condemn magic arts. The scriptures condemn enchantments and magical charms and amulets and sorcery and casting spells, astrology and horoscopes. I remember years ago sitting down and talking to guys. You know, we were going to have a Bible study, and some guys were talking about what you know. Read every every morning, they were reading their their daily horoscope. I said, "What are you doing?" Almost, I was ready to, I was ready to turn Nehemiah, turn into a Nehemiah, and start pulling their beards, man. And just kind of stupidity is this, man. Now this is what's condemned. And those that do those things, this is their night. So, what are we as believers to do? Are you ready? Joshua 24. This is what believers are supposed to do. Because we know that this night... is a special night for Satanists and Wiccans and witches and goblins and everything else. What are we as believers to do? Listen to the words of Joshua as he is preparing now to leave this life. And he tells the children of Israel, verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord. Fear the Lord in reverence, in awe, in respect, in worship. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Serve him in humility and in truth. And put away the gods. Now who's he talking to? The children of Israel. Who's still messing around. With these gods. And he says, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. You have to put those things away because he has nothing to do with them. He wants nothing to do with them. He wants you to do nothing with them. Not to have any bit of it, you know, in your possession. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. I I have always been fascinated by that statement of Joshua. If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord. 
Folks, does it seem evil to you to serve the Lord in, in sincerity and in truth and in gladness and in love? And uh, it, It's not evil at all, is it? But that's the mindset of people today. To look at the things of God and say they're evil because they're evil. Why? Because they, they're keeping me from enjoying life and enjoying the things of this, of this earth and of this, of the, of the, you know. I, I, <sighs> if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we do as believers in Jesus Christ. The question never has to be asked, what should I do? Can Christians do this? What did Paul say? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? How many people think that they know more than God? And again, it comes down to verse 23. All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. They're not beneficial. They're not always good for you. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. All things do not build up in a spiritual and proper and biblical way. Are we stronger than he? <laughs> no, we're not. That's why we need him. And that's why we need to heed him. And that's why we need to believe him. And that's why we need to obey him. Because he is stronger than all of us. And he is wiser than all of us. And just remember this, he knows each and every one of our beginnings and our endings better than we know. I want you to be built up and edified, to grow strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. put away childish things and to take hold of the great challenges of a believer who says I will trust in the Lord from now till the day that Jesus breaks through the clouds for us which could be any day and we don't have to worry about when because when he comes, he comes. And so we close with what I said are the things that God wants us to think about. And if we can think about these things on a night like today, then where is the blessing going to come? It comes from him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even on a night like this, we came and we sang praises unto our God. And we can go out singing praises unto our God. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Even Paul is saying, listen, he's, he's at hand. He can come at any second. Be looking for him. Do what Jesus said when he said, keep looking up and lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near.
Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious. I tell you, we can get anxious in this day. We can get anxious about tonight. We can get anxious about the election. We can get anxious about, you know, just what's going on in this government. And Oh, my goodness. Oh, look. Oh. But, but you know what? Don't make wrong choices either. Don't be moved by what, you know, the flesh is saying. I honestly want you to pray about, if you haven't voted yet, pray about it. Don't say, well, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote now. So I, I just prayed and then just vote. Oh, prayerfully consider. Prayerfully consider. The, 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 the issues are, are too serious. Just to, for somebody who lives in our backyard. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind which means he shall guard it protect you thoroughly your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. Folks, honest. There are people wearing costumes. Okay, so a lot of them are kids. They're just doing because, you know, we're going to dress you up in this and this. But there's adults doing this. And they're, and they're playing. They're playing with their eternities. That's not honesty. Be who you are. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. There's nothing pure about this night to, to the Wiccans or to the, to the Satanists that are looking to do some harm to someone or something. Whatsoever things are lovely. What a lovely thing it is that God has given us life. And purity. And holiness. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on those things. Think on these things. Meditate upon them. What good has God given you? Thank him for it. Praise him for it. Live for him in it. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Do those things. What, Paul is saying, look, I, I love the Lord. I'm going to follow him. This is what I want you to do. And the God of peace shall be with you. His shalom will be with you. His wholeness and completeness will be with you. His fullness will be with you. His completeness in all things will comfort you. And so, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.